I would invite you to take a copy of God's Word if you would like to use the one that we have. It's page 953 as we turn to 1 Corinthians, a series we began two weeks ago. Uh, last week we had the immense privilege of hearing from our brother Neil Quinn. So there was a little break in, in getting this series started, but now we're back in it. Verses 4 through 9 of chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter one, verses four through nine. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The age-old adage that we have learned as kids, uh, but we often need reminded of as adults, is that if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Uh, knowing what we know about the content of the remainder of this letter, if you think back two weeks ago, we kind of did a 30,000-foot view of 1 Corinthians, and we saw that it can be divided, it can be a structured uh, by the uh, problems that the Corinthian church was facing and the way that Paul has to address them. We looked at six, I believe, issues that were going on, things like division and, and um, uh, disunity, that people are suing each other in the church, sexual immorality of a kind that Paul doesn't even want to talk about, even the pagans don't want to uh, talk about, doctrinal issues like denying the resurrection. Um, all these issues are going on in the Corinthian church. And... Uh, so since we know where this letter is going and Paul's great frustration with the Corinthians on account of their infighting and their, their spiritual failings, we might expect Paul to skip the customary Thanksgiving portion of uh, the opening of epistles. Most of Paul's letters open something like this. Hi, I'm Paul. Grace to you. And I'm so thankful for you. Hi, I'm Paul. Grace to you from God. And I'm so thankful for you. And then he goes on to list what he's thankful for about that particular church. But if you remember, Galatians, another problem church, that's not the pattern he follows. He goes, hi, I'm Paul. Grace to you. What's wrong with you people? Right? That's, that's how Galatians opens up. We might expect something very similar in Corinthians. But you look at the verses we've read, and the opening sounds a whole lot like the letters uh, that, or the way that Paul begins his letters to churches that are doing pretty well. It starts with this section of thanksgiving for the congregation. So is Paul flattering them? I mean, if he has nothing nice to say, uh, it's good he shouldn't say anything, you know, at all. He shouldn't say anything bad, certainly, but does that mean he's lying? Is he now fabricating some nice stuff? Is this flattery? What is Paul doing here? Is he being disingenuous? Well, in fact, no. There is a difference between this letter and those others 
And so here, turn with me, and we'll just look at a couple of them, uh, two in particular. Turn to Colossians, the opening of Colossians. That's after Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Consider what he says there, beginning in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. So Paul is thankful to the Colossians um, because of their faith and their love. He's thankful to God for the Colossians because of their faith and their love. Or look at 1 Thessalonians. That's the, the next one, so you don't have to go far. 1 Thessalonians and verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So very similar. Paul's thankful for the Thessalonians' work of faith, hope, and love. Now go back to 1 Corinthians. And let's read this opening again very carefully. What does he say? He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say word one about what the Corinthians have done. Right? The Colossians, the Thessalonians, I'm thankful to God because of your faith and your love to the Corinthians. He says, I'm thankful to God for what he has done for you, for what he has done for you. Uh, he focuses his prayer of thanksgiving on what God has done, and that's going to come out again and again in these few verses that we've read to a church that is drifting, a church that's not behaving the way that she should be behaving. Paul roots his thankfulness in their God because there's really nothing he can say about them. There's nothing that they're doing that he's thankful for at this moment. But by doing this, Paul reminds the Corinthians straight out the gate that they do have the gospel. They have the things that God has given them. And implicitly, he's calling them to live in light of it, right? So before we even get into the exhortations of this letter, there's one kind of package into the introduction, right? I'm thankful for everything that God's done. Why don't you act like he's done these things for you, Corinthians? That's sort of what's implied here. And so notice three things that Paul gives thanks for regarding the Corinthians. And notice how God is at the center of each of these. He's thankful that they have been graced by God. That would be the first thing we look at. That they've been gifted by God. And then finally, that they are gripped by God. That they are held by God. That God will not let them go. Or as he says in verse 9, God is faithful. God is faithful. And I thought this is helpful for us. Because these are things that are true of every Christian. And I have, if, I, if I have to guess, I would say that there is probably a fellow Christian in your life that you maybe have a hard time being thankful for. Um, a, hard, a, a Christian that you have a hard time getting along with. And you're wondering, what are they bringing to the table here? You know, I don't get anything out of this person. They irritate me. I just think they're just a mess and there's all these problems. Well, here are three things that you can thank God for, for this individual. Because this is what's true of every Christian. 
And maybe even more meaningfully, we need to remember that because these things are true of every Christian, they're true of you and me, even though we might be the difficult believer, even though our lives might be a mess. These are things we can be thankful to God that he has done and will do in our lives. So the first thing that Paul says he's thankful to God for is that the people have been graced by God. That is to say that God's grace has come to them in the person of Jesus Christ in real, true ways. So look at verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Now, if you look immediate at the next clause, the immediate clause, uh, I think we see that the grace given in Christ that Paul has in mind specifically is spiritual gifting. He says that in every way you are enriched in speech and knowledge, and then there's a little parenthesis in verse 7 says you're not lacking in any gift, and the word for grace and gift are very uh, similar here. So uh, certainly that's what Paul has in mind, I think, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But, but even so, in this three-word phrase at the end of verse 4, in Christ Jesus, Paul is opening up the fundamental truth that the Corinthians have been given salvation. They've been graced with salvation. Yes, we're going to talk about gifts, but you don't have gifts unless you are saved. Uh, once you talk about being in Christ, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about nothing less than salvation. And that's the first thing Paul's thankful for. I am thankful to God that he saved you. That he saved you. Right, you don't have certain gifts from Jesus and not have the main gift, Jesus himself. So as soon as Paul says they're in Christ Jesus, he is talking about the greatest gift of all, the person of Christ and how he's the substitute for sinners and the savior from sin and death. You cannot be in Christ. This is so important to understand. You cannot be in Christ and not be saved. You can be in a house and not live in it. You can be at a restaurant and not eat there. You can walk into a store and not buy something. You can sit in a car and not drive it. That is to say, you can be in all sorts of places and not actually derive the benefit for which that place exists. But not so with Christ. You cannot be in Christ and not be saved. You cannot be in Christ and not be saved. And so when Paul says, I thank God for the grace that came to you in Christ Jesus, He's saying, I am thankful that God, to God that you have received the grace of the gospel, that you are saved. And that's the same thing Paul's saying in verse 9. Look there. He's saying, he says there that the Corinthians have been called into the fellowship of God's Son, the fellowship of Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, that is union language. To be in Christ means you're united to Christ, to have fellowship with Christ, communion the word there, fellowship, can be translated communion. It means you are in Christ. You share in Christ. And Paul tells us how this happens, and it's in verse 6. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. That's a phrase for preaching the gospel, the testimony about Christ. It's because they received gospel preaching it's because they believe the proclamation of who Christ is and what he had done that Paul can say they are in Christ. And if you are not in Christ and you want to be in Christ, and yes, you want to be in Christ, you must be in Christ. The way is to, to believe the preaching that you're hearing tonight, to believe that Jesus Christ is a sufficient Savior. That's how we get into Christ. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's what real preaching does. It gets people into Jesus. So are you in him? That's a way we can sum up the entire Christian experience, being in Christ. Are you in him? Christians are Christ people. We are Christ people. Yes, we are Christ's people. We are possessed by him, but we are also Christ people. We are defined. Every aspect of our being is defined by our Savior. We should never be able to talk about any gift any grace, any success, any blessing in life without always bringing it back to Jesus. We're Jesus' people. He's the one from whom comes every good thing. John Calvin says this, We see that our whole salvation and all of its parts are comprehended in Christ. We should therefore take care not to derive the least portion, the least portion of it from anywhere else, since rich store of every kind of good abounds in him, let us drink our fill from this fountain and from no other. Notice that Christ Jesus is mentioned four times in this salutation. Through Christ, God has given to the Corinthians. He has enriched the Corinthians. He has confirmed them in their faith. Verse 6, he's called them. Verse 9, the central theme of Paul's thanksgiving is, is not the Corinthians. It's Jesus. It's what Jesus has done. Are we learning a lesson here about the shape of our prayers and our praise, right? And just the shape of our lives, lives as Christians? It should all be Christ-centered, Christ-focused, bringing everything back to our Savior. Paul's going to do the same thing about himself. He's thanking God for what he's done for the Corinthians. He's going to thank God for what he's done for him. At the end of this book, a very famous verse, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Can you say the same thing? Do you recognize that what you are has nothing to do with who you are and what you've done. But it's the grace of God. There's no good that can come to you without that grace. Have you received it? You know, I, I realize I was thinking as I was preparing this message, I kind of ask questions like that a lot. You know, is this true for you? And, and that's good. It gets us thinking. But maybe sometimes uh, you're sitting there and you think, you keep asking me that, Pastor, and you never give me the answer, though. How, how can this be true of me? Am I in Christ? I don't know. How does it happen? I want to just take a moment and just walk really simply because there might be somebody here who needs to hear this. Are you in Christ? You're not sure? You don't know how to get in Christ? It's really simple. It's really simple, but it's so, so important. Listen to this. This is what it means to get into Christ. It means you recognize that you are nothing in and of yourself, but that Christ is everything. And you just have to say this simple prayer, God, give me Jesus. Give me your son. And it's not like that prayer changes your life. You say that prayer and then you go live the, you know, however you want to live. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that's the starting place. It's that acknowledgement. That's what saving faith is. It's turning from yourself and turning to Christ. I would tell some of the young, young people in our a profession of faith classes. What does faith mean? The easy way is to remember the acronym F-A-I-T-H. Forsaking all, I take him. Forsaking all, I take him. That's faith. So that's what you need to do. I'm talking about being in Christ, being united to Christ. How does it happen? You say you have nothing. He has everything. You say, God, get me to him, and he'll do it. He'll do it. The Corinthians that grace had come to them, and you see it didn't change everything. Their lives were still a mess, and Paul is going to call them now to live 
accordingly uh, to the, this gospel that they believe live lives worthy of the gospel, we, we need to do the same kind of thing. But, but here's something that's helpful for us to remember if we bring it back to, you know, um, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. There's, there's a difficult believer in your life, and here is something you can be thankful for, that they are a believer, right? That they are a believer, and you can thank God, and you should thank God for that. Thank God for that, that they've received the grace of the gospel. Well, beyond being graced by God in a general sense, the Corinthians are also gifted by God in a very specific sense. Uh, the two that Paul hones in on are speech and knowledge. Verse 5, you were enriched in him. Again, there's that union language. Christ needs to be everything to you. When you're in him, you get gifts, and for them, in all speech and all knowledge. These will come up later in the epistle. One place you know well probably is chapter 13, when Paul compares the gifts of speech and knowledge, which they do have, with the gift of love, which they don't seem to have. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. So Paul is thankful. This is really interesting. Paul is thankful that God has given them the gifts that Paul in a few chapters is going to say you're misusing. He's thankful to God that he's given them these gifts that they themselves are abusing. One commentator assesses the situation in Corinth well when he says that their greatest liabilities and their greatest strengths lie in their gifting. Right? It's their blessing and their curse. They've got these really great gifts and yet they don't know how to use them. It's their liability and their strength. And that's always our issue as believers. We take the things God gives us and we don't steward them well. In other words, the mistakes or the mess-ups in life, um, our, our mistakes and mess-ups in life, are never due to a deficiency in our gifting, are never due to a defection in the gift, but always are due to a distortion by us of how that gift is used. But the gift that God gives us isn't deficient. There's nothing wrong with the gift. God did enrich them in all speech and knowledge, but then Paul's going to go on saying, and yet you've, you've mucked it up. Now think about these two for a second in our own lives, speech and knowledge. Do you use your speech to build others up the way God calls us to, to exhort and encourage and edify, or do you use your words to belittle, to tear down, to divide, to make crude comments or jokes? What about knowledge? As Christians, we have the mind of Christ and we are called to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But instead, we fill our minds with frivolous nonsense. Instead of learning more of God and his word, we fill our mind with sports statistics or celebrity gossip or political drivel. The deposit of the gift into our lives is God's doing, but the defective use of that gift is our doing. And it happens when we forget just how richly blessed we are. That's the word Paul uses, rich, right? You've been enriched by these gifts. Paul's saying, he, he's trying to, to get them to see just how amazing the gift is that they have that they're not using properly. It's sort of like, can you imagine living in a home where, where the pipes are leaking and the floorboards are rotting and there's no insulation and, you know, the windows are, are broken 
and uh, the electricity is unreliable, uh, the plumbing is unreliable. Can you imagine living in that house, but at the same time having a billion dollars in your bank account and in your savings account, right? If somebody found that out, they'd say, what's wrong with you? You're crazy, right? Why are you living in squalor when you're a billionaire? Use the resources that you have to live a better life. That's essentially what Paul's hinting at here to the Corinthians. You've been enriched. You're not lacking in any gift at all. The same is true for us. We are made rich by God through the gifts of his Holy Spirit. We want to thank him for that and then use them properly. And there might be somebody in your life you need reminded of has been gifted by God. Because there's nobody who is a believer, who is Christian, who has been graced by God, who then is not also gifted, who does not have the Holy Spirit. And so there's somebody you need to think about maybe, and you can't think anything good about them, but you need to remember, they've been gifted by God. They do have gifts. They, they do have an ability to serve in particular areas. They do have a way of speaking to people that, that I don't have, and, and be thankful to God for that. Be thankful to God for that. Well, finally, Paul gives thanks because the Corinthians are gripped by God, kept by God. Imperfect as they are, they are kept by God, it says, until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7, they're waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. This future perspective is needed for the Corinthians. They need to remember that there is still yet to be the return or the revealing of their Savior. Uh, there's a danger probably for them because they were so gifted that they thought, you know, they're all that. They've got it made and they, they, they would forget uh, or, or be tempted to imagine that they're already enjoying the blessings of heaven when, you know, that, that, that they ain't seen nothing yet, right? That, but the idea here is that they're going to think that they don't need anything else. They've got it all. That future perspective is needed for us, too, not just for the Corinthians, but for us as we interact with other believers. I have always felt like the, the uh, greatest cure for, for bitterness, for division among saints, at least for me personally, for people that I find difficult and hard to get along with, is remembering that they're going to be in heaven as, as long as I'm going to be in heaven. There's no escaping your fellow brothers and sisters. Maybe in this life, but that's just a fool's errand because you will be with them forever. Because all who have been graced by God and gifted by God are gripped by God. And he doesn't let anybody go. And you think, oh, that's great. I'm, I'm gripped by God. He keeps on to me. Yeah, and also that person that annoys you. You'll be in heaven with them forever. So maybe you should start making amends now. What good news, though, it is for sinners like us that we're gripped by God. If it were up to us to make it to the finish line, we never could. But God brings his people not only to an end, but to a perfect end. Did you see what Paul says? The Corinthians, who have so many issues, will be guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. They'll be guiltless. They'll be cleared. Uh, they'll be announced, uh, um, openly vindicated on the judgment day and announced innocent. And I think there's no greater encouragement for us uh, to that work of holiness than to know that our endeavors are not in vain. 